Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you the most topical energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sverson. I'm joined today by gas analyst Wayne Bryan, formerly known as Wayne Alpha. Uh, also participating on the pod is my colleague Nathan Whitcock, correspondent Germany. Welcome to you Wayne and Nathan. Thanks. Richard. Good morning Richard. Welcome back Wayne. I'd like to start by looking at the situation now at the beginning of 2020. Just a few weeks ago the situation looked quite different. If you could just give us a brief summary of kind of the last weeks of December because it was quite quite eventful wasn't it Wayne? Yeah well there was quite a lot happening indeed uh, mm. last week of this last couple of weeks of December and even the run-up prior to that and of course everyone's concerns uh, was around the Ukraine Gazprom EU mediated talks. Now, as I said to you probably several months before, I always thought it would be signed mm. and it would go until the last minute. And that's what we saw. We got the official announcement sort of right on the, right on the end, really, of the year. Mm. That, again, made a lot of market participants uh, relieved mm. um, and we saw the effect on prices mm. uh, and we can see that effect right now. I think that concern, even if the transit deal wasn't signed, I still think short-term supply-wise, we'd have been in a, a good position. Mm. There have been some strategic uh, placement of gas by Gazprom in different mm. parts of Europe. Also with the storage, uh, not just uh, gas, but LNG storage is at record levels. Mm. Renewables are growing. Demand is mm. still pretty weak. I mean, we're now, what, January 9th today, and it's it's quite mild still. Mm. Sun shining. Um, not just here, but across Northwest Europe, the weather mm. hasn't seen any real ramp up in LDZ demand. So mm. I think we'd have been in an OK situation, but now we're in a much better situation. Mm. Obviously, any concerns around that deal uh, dissipated mm. uh, and we're now seeing the flows slowly start to ramp up uh, via Ukraine into Europe. So mm. I think, yeah, compared to where we're on, say, deck 28, 29, yeah, yeah. we're in an even better position. I think there's there's a there's a number of points uh, that you that I'd like to, to you to elaborate on, Wayne. Could you just start off by saying what happened to prices, quite literally, because there was quite a, a spread between what was happening in the prompt or yes. the day ahead and the forward prices. Yes. Yeah. So could you just, for those listeners who may be unaware of the actual numbers here? Well, I think I think the relief, there was, I mean, I always said there was a good 10% or so, five, between 5 and 10%, depending on the contract, worth of risk premium. I mean, you saw Q1, the, the, the risk started rising for Q1 contracts, which then fed into the summer. Mm. I think as well, when you look at the summer contracts, they were more concerned about what was going to happen if we didn't get the deal signed. We're then going to have to drain the storages and we're going to move into summer with storages. Mm potentially below where they were. So that was quite interesting. And looking at what happened with Q1, as soon as that deal was announced, you saw the prompt, yeah. the front month and everything just completely mm. tumbled. Mm. Once that gas was confirmed to be coming through from Jan 1st, mm. we just saw, I mean, mm. the, not just the, the prompt, but the summer contract, mm. UK MVP mm. dove below 30 pence. But, you know, mm. a lot, we saw a lot of change, not just in the UK, but also in TTF prices as well. Mm. And now you look at where the market is now, it's kind of positioned itself at is probably where it is now is a probably the price it should be at mm. but however there there is still some concern especially what's going on geopolitically the french nuke situation weather can always switch and also mm. there's always a concern i've always been like that as well mm. looking at any cuts in uh, pipeline flow especially from the Norwegian side of it, I mean, mm. again, the price is getting that cheap now. Will we see some commercial reductions? Mm. Mm. However, again, looking at them wanting to keep the market share, etc., 
I still don't think we're going to see that at the moment. But there's still always concerns. But where we are now, I think mm. the market is in the correct place when you look at the price uh, mm. structure. You just mentioned uh, LDZ. For those listeners who may not be aware of that uh, abbreviation, could you just... Uh, it's domestic heating demand. So yeah. purely UK, looking at, yeah. in the UK, looking at... And also you could use that for you, but looking mm. at domestic heating demand, which of course counts, especially in the UK as uh, the biggest... Uh, demand yeah. side of uh, UK gas and in France obviously it's electrified so it's a bit different mm. other parts of Europe maybe coal and gas but mm. LDZ demand or mm. domestic heating requirements mm. regardless of the country are way below the levels we're used to seeing but we saw the supply from the Ukraine into Slovakia dip quite significantly mm-hmm. at the start of this week or late last week. Yeah. What, what the, and, but what are the reasons behind this? Well, some people think it's storage requirements, uh, yeah. refilling of some storages again. But again, I think it was a case of slowly building it back up. And I think it caught quite a few uh, mm-hmm. people in the market a bit by surprise. And again, the old fear factor kicks in. Mm-hmm. You know, so then we saw you know, prices start to rally again. But I mean... I spoke to a few people about that and we were always confident it was slowly going to ramp up and it has, as, 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 as we're seeing that today. Yeah. No, I was just going to get back to that uh, risk you were talking about earlier with the, um, that there would be no deal. So I think that was one of the main justifications for why we had such higher forward prices Correct. relative to, to, the, to the near-term prices. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what's happened now. What, what are the spreads telling us? right now about you know where we're at in in the middle of winter yeah. compared to summer like how normal are these these prices that we're seeing the spreads now telling us that what we're fearing or say what we're fearing is what we think is going to happen mm. is it's going to be a similar situation to last year we're going to go into the summer with storages uh, mm. and overhang and again where does that uh, where does that excess gas where does the gas go this mm. summer if we go in with storages i don't know 70 80 90% again the requirements for the following winter we're not going to need mm. to fill storages again. So for me, looking at the market now, it's positioning itself for things to go as planned now for the next few months, what people are talking about, whether there's no beast from the east at the present. I know weather can change very quickly, but looking mm. at been looking at some of the forecasts, mm. there's still no real sight of any sustained cold snap. Mm. Also, as well, looking at related markets, carbon sort of stabilised now. Mm. There was some reports of it maybe being hit in 50, 60 mm. this year, which I, I, don't, I still don't see how that could happen. Mm. All prices now, we saw it fall again 5% yesterday, so that'll affect some of the forward contracts. But I think we look at the spreads now, the market's position for this oversupply to continue, and the closer we get to the end of March, without any significant events. And when I mean events, I mean, mm. could there be a beast from these? Mm. Could there be a situation uh, where there's mm. a pipeline concerns or flows start to get cut? Mm. Could there be a geopolitical mm. issue? And we, I mentioned that to you guys a bit earlier, talking mm. about what could happen with the Strait for Musa, et cetera. Mm. So discounting that, I think what we'll see as we get, as we get tick off each month, so to mm. speak, we're gonna see the prices again, uh, start to dip a bit lower. but. There is a flaw, obviously. I mean, we're not going to see 20 pence uh, mm. summer gas. Mm. At some point, we might have to see some optimization of flows just to keep the price. We've seen it before. If you look back in history at the charts, mm. you can see a lot of pain points for producers where things may have to start getting cut just to really get that demand back up again and get that price to rise back up. But like I said, I think where it is now in terms of across the curve, prices. Mm. are pretty much where they should be if you look at the overall fundamental picture. To interject with some European prices then, in terms of euros a megawatt hour, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got prices, I think, for the for the front month around 12 euros a megawatt hour, and, and that's very similar to, like, day-ahead prices. Yeah. 
And also similar to summer, which seems crazy. It does seem crazy, yeah. Mm. Again, because before, if you look at the the markets, there was always a spread thinking about what's going to happen in the summer, thinking about fillage and storages, making that price a bit higher. The flattening of the curve or the narrowing the spreads indicates confidence. Mm. So we could see sub-10. I mean, I think I said it last year at some Mm. point where I think we see sub-10-pound megawatt-hour TTF, and it happened. Mm. And I think it it could happen again. Mm. Mm. 10 euros? Sub-10. Well, I think it went to 980. And I think... Looking at where we are now, I think that, that that's a possibility again. And how come winter then, like going going further out, mm-hmm. how can we still see this rising? Where's the expectation? There's always winter? risk in winter. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest, winter's still a long way away. Mm-hmm. There's always risk in winter, whether that be weather risk, supply risk, mm-hmm. you know, storage concerns, mm-hmm. LNG concerns, which I don't think will happen looking at the way the market is now. So there's always risk premiums in winter. And you always, if you look at the curves, you'll always find as you get closer to that winter point when mm. a lot more of the fundamental data becomes available and a lot more succinct mm. that's when you see the price start to fall it happened last winter with the winter contracts you saw mm. a real fall as we came towards the end of that uh, expiry date and has it really all been about the LNG that has arrived in Europe in these past 12 months it's had a massive impact I mean we spoke about it for years. I think mm. we, we were, where is this mm. LNG Waiting glut? For it to and it, yeah. it finally appeared. Uh, mm. It's finally appeared now. And when you look at the major players involved now, Australia, they're ramping up and forecast to be the number one exporter this year. Mm. You look at the US and we all know what's happened there with Donald Trump and his freedom gas. <laughs> and then you've got the Qataris now who before could sort of not dictate, but they kind of had a, a bigger impact. Now, they're going to have to now, you know, not accept price is the wrong word, but they're going to have to try and compete. They've now got proper real competition, uh, especially into Northwest Europe. Because the Qataris just pipped the Aussies to top exports yes, last year. Last year, yeah, correct. Exactly. Yeah. But I think uh, it'd be interesting to see now what happens in the standoff between uh, the US and Iran. We're yeah. in a very uncertain phase of this kind of... Oh, um, very in, uncertain. In, ...of this conflict. So and I think if something happens especially on the straits of whom for moves. How, how do you think this will play out? And certainly for Qatari, uh, Qatari LNG, I mean, a lot of it could be locked in. Yeah, a lot of it. And again, yeah, I mean, this for me is one of the biggest concerns at the moment. And I know if you watch the news reports or watch Trump's press conference yesterday, he sort of dialed down the rhetoric. Mm. The Iranians sent a few missiles. That's them saying, okay, we've, we've got some revenge. They said that several US service members were killed, which obviously didn't happen. That wasn't mm. the case. But they've sort of placated... They're massives, so to speak. So maybe we will see it dial down. They know they're not in a position to really uh, challenge uh, America, especially with someone as, I was talking to about this morning, someone as volatile as Donald Trump. Mm. I mean, two days ago, he's talking about bombing religious sites and stuff. Mm. Yesterday, he sort of took a step back from that. Mm. He said, the Iranians are dialing down. Mm. We're dialing it down. So I think we, we're going to see a, a slight stability. But for me... There still has to be some risk, uh, quite strong risk that something's going to happen. The person that was taken out, so to speak, was literally the number two uh, Mm. in Iran. You saw that Ayatollah went to his house to Mm. deliver a sermon, which doesn't happen. So I'm still not convinced that uh, Iran uh, have finished. Mm. I'm still not convinced by that. I mean, they might say that, but I'm Mm. still not convinced. We saw that jet that went down and Mm. there's... Now, at all, was that a stray missile? Mm. I mean, that that risk premium, and where where it might sort of affect prices at all, I imagine, is, is further out on the curve in yeah. terms of oil indexation. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I mean, the, the near term, the fundamentals are telling us that we're quite satiated 
right? That we've got Correct. right. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's got a risk of being locked in, I guess it's it's the US production, isn't it? Isn't is that the, the prices? Yeah, dep- at the prices. Yeah, I mean, some- so next quarter could we actually so- see our US LNG stop showing up in in Europe because they still. Bringing they're new still bringing lots, yeah, and I think I don't. It depends as well on each producer and their different margins. But I still see, if you look at the Henry Hub price as well, I still see a continuation of LNG. And I think some of it might not even be price sensitive. It might be coming from higher up, mm. driven by people like Donald Trump talking about his freedom gas. Mm. You could imagine him say, "I don't care if you're losing mm. a bit of money. Mm. Let's get that gas into Europe. Let's try and you know keep the Russian gas away," which is obviously not going to happen now. But that was always why they're trying still to sanction Nord Stream 2, but I understand now another company's coming to lay the final bits of pipe. Mm. So I think US gas is, is here to stay for the, for the time being. Mm. Um, you've seen it come in when the prices were low. You've seen it still mm. come into mm-hmm. Europe in abundance. Um, so I don't think at the moment uh, US gas is going to be disappearing anytime soon. And also in terms of market share, again, that's again quite important mm. to them. But just um, before we kind of started the podcast, mm. you're, you're talking about your concerns about demand. Like, where's yeah, the demand yeah. going to come from? Correct. To, to mm. So if, if demand stays weak, surely there has to be some kind of supply response somewhere. So Correct, yeah. I, did, I mean, I was alluding to that earlier. That's one of my concerns of, of, this, of the next few months. Where is that demand going to come from? And at some point, like I said, not even in just in gas, but in LNG, there's a, there's, a, you know, there's a producer pain point where once they hit that pain point, they're going to start easing off on the supply. That's why I don't think there's a massive more amount of downside in both markets at mm. present due to where we are. Mm. Uh, we're very low across across the curves in LNG pricing and gas pricing. But, I mean, it's all pointing downwards here. I mean, where, where are the bullish elements? I mean, potentially... It's all potentially, yes. it's all potentially. At the moment, it's all, it's all the old classic hypothetical risk. Yeah. Uh, and, where is it coming from? And like I said, Langlead might, you know, go down again. 40s pipeline happened in the UK, might crack again. And mm. these are all what-ifs at the moment. So you're correct. I don't really see... Uh, a massive amount of bullish uh, concerns at this moment. I'm not mm. saying I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm completely 100 bearish because I never am. Mm. However, it, looking at where we are now, the scales are firmly in the in the bears' favour at the moment. And you alluded to uh, one of our old favourites, the wild card of, of the French nuclear situation. Yes. So, so if we get, you know, you never know. Really, something could could happen there. I mean, yes. we've got a period of of 10-year inspection, fourth 10-year inspections happening this year. And, exactly. And who knows what that might unearth, you know, so... That's always been a, it's always a concern for me. And to, towards, I think it's towards the end of last year, we had that concern about a lot of these reactors having different problems. And I know that's ongoing. This is where we need Chris, mm, our resident exactly, French exactly. expert, because yeah, yeah. there is more concerns now. And I was mm. speaking to him uh, earlier in, towards the end of the year about that. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, yeah, there's still, as we know, there's more inspections due. And there's always that uncertainty with French nuclear. You can never quite be certain that it's going to be our turning at, at a consistent level throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And again, if we lose a lot more of that for a sustained period of time, there's a lot of gas uh, going to be going to be used for power mm-hmm. demand across or for power generation across mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. So that's always a, a real, that's always high on my list of concerns mm-hmm. uh, is the French nuclear situation. What about the role of Asia in all of this? Mm. Because, I mean, it was, it was kind of the absence of that continued growth in Asian demand mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm that saw a lot of that new supply having to be forced to Europe. Is cool. there any sign that that uh, Asians are going to be resuming their... Not at the moment. Mm. If you look, again, it's and I, again, I've said this before, it's a very similar situation to Northwest Europe in terms of what happened to their market. Mm. Again, they typically in the winter soak up a lot of supply to fill their storages. 
like Europe, their storage is already full. Mm. Again, typically there's a lot of uh, heating demand over the winter period. Again, temperatures in the major demand centers of Seoul, mm. Beijing and Tokyo, weather was warm. They didn't experience, uh, mm. as of yet, a real sustained spell of cold weather. Mm. So that's impacted them, not only in terms of filling the storages, but soaking up the supply because their storages are so high. I saw reports of Chinese buyers reselling cargoes mm. or you know, cargoes that they already previously purchased. They're now reselling them because mm. where do they put it? Their storages, as they say, are topped. Mm. They've got topped out storages across Asia. Mm. And even with the coal to gas switching, Renewables of growth is something you need to take into account. They're building mm. some of the biggest renewables globally in terms mm. of wind, in terms of the new dam, the new three dams they're going to be building. Mm. So again, that's taking away more uh, demand from the gas sector. They're mm. also and the power of Siberia. Yeah, exactly. They're also intent on on building out their domestic production, right? Diversifying their supply. Exactly. Of gas. Mm. I think now they've got they've started to build some stuff, but they're just lacking in infrastructure in terms of you know, in pipelines. They've built some infrastructure where the power of Siberia comes in, there's not big gas demand there. Mm. So they need to get that down to some of the industrial big gas mm. users. But again, it's not it's not happening at the moment. Mm. So that's also, the Asian side of it is also having an impact. And the trade wars. Mm. Trade wars have impacted, you know, production. Trade wars have impacted a lot, not just in Europe, but also uh, in Asia as well. So their markets are in a similar situation to us. And they're also benefiting not only from supply from the power of Siberia, but also supply from Australia, mm. who, as we know, are probably going to be the world's number one exporter by the end of this year. They're sending a lot of gas uh, to so China as well. I remember at the beginning of last year was, was when we first started to hear people start to say, oh, well, this tight LNG market, maybe it's not actually so tight. Maybe it's going to be loose for a little mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. And then they started to push back their expectation. Oh, it could be loose until the end of the year. It could be loose next year as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When do you see the, the tightness emerging? I agree with that as well. And I think if you look at a lot of, a lot of projects, I think it was the record in terms of projects uh, that went through FID last year in terms of, I don't got the exact number, but there was, it was a record. It broke the record. I think mm -hmm. it hadn't happened for about mm -hmm. seven or eight years where we saw that many projects pass FID and a lot more million tonnes per annum were added. So where does, it, where does this demand come from? And this is what I said mm -hmm. to you guys before we started. One of my main concerns, where is demand coming from at the moment? Because mm. at the moment, we don't see it, mm. not just in Europe, but also uh, in Asia as well. We don't see, maybe maybe an improvement in economic conditions might help. Some severe weather <laughs> would mm. help. Maybe an LNG supply issue, which mm. again, uh, production yeah. is ongoing. New facilities are opening, Cove Point, Elba. They're opening consistently in, in the US and mm. Australia as well. So for me... At the moment, I, I couldn't tell you where I think that demand will come from. I still think this market will stay loose. Mm. People are talking about 2022 with gas demand rising. We might see a bit of tightness, the German situation, etc. Mm. Phase out of coal across a lot of places. Might see a resurgence of gas demand where we might see some tightness. But a lot of these people now are producing or looking to expand facilities in anticipation mm -hmm. of what's going to come out from, from the German side of things. So. It seems more kind of hope than expectation. It's yeah. hoping uh, you know, that's, that demand will come from somewhere. Yeah, but again, you, you, you mentioned we were talking about Asia, but there's, what we see from Asia is increased supply. I yeah. mean, Turk streams come yeah, on, uh, can't come on. So what, what, what's the impact of that, for example? What well, that again is going to impact. We've got more gas coming into Southeast Europe. And again, any, any or that part of you, any more concerns coming from them, if they had any supply issues, it, it would have been a drain on supplies from Northwest Europe. But now more supplies coming in via that route 
again, it tempers demand from that side of it as well. So it's just another, there's so many more supply sources now and diversification in supply and will Nord Stream 2 happen this year as well? Mm. Some people say it will happen in the Q2. That's another thing to, to talk about as well. Even more gas coming into Europe. Mm. Again, where is that demand mm. coming from to soak up all this excess gas? Mm. And again, we always resort back to it, but the storages are they're still nearly full. Mm. They need a real drain to make the summer, alluding back to previous question as well, to make these summer prices start to react mm. uh, and be nervous about perhaps massive injection demand in the summer. But that status quo remains, we're, we're going to see uh, this, this, this continue. With this ongoing supply glut, how has this, especially in terms of LNG, how has that transformed the market in terms of, 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 of the trading of this commodity? I mean, I mean, you were talking a little bit about this before we started. I mean, I think there's a very interesting point here. Yes. Could you, could you elaborate on how, how this, uh, you know, this, this incredible oversupply has, has impacted? Of course. Well, now we're seeing LNG futures being traded a lot more. The market is now becoming less dependent on the long-term supply. Mm. The old school long-term supply contracts, they're more not a thing of the past, but people now want more things on the spot. And that's been reflected if you look at the churn rate, which is the amount of times a contract is bought and sold before it's delivered. Mm. At the moment, uh, it just hit, well, just towards uh, the end of last year, we saw it hit 10 to 1 in the LNG market. Now, 10 to 1 signifies a liquid market. And to put that in comparison, the churn rate for TTF is 25 to 1, mm. and the churn rate for crude oil, which is the most traded, con- is 100 to 1. Mm. Mm. So that also, for me, was a big sign that we're moving, that market is changing mm. faster, more dynamic, more supply demand responsive mm. and again that all the more the churn rate increases the more availability the more liquidity the more the market mm. price increase cap will be there it will need a lot to mm. to push the price above even above ten dollars per mmbtu so the churn rate for me it's a very important indicator of how the world is now seeing the global LNG market, not just now, but moving forward. Mm. It's going to move. We're going to see a lot less of this uh, long-term contract or even oil index LNG contracts now are starting to, starting to fall. And everyone wants it on the spot because it's there. Mm. It's there. You're seeing tracking ships. You see a couple of ships now. You see them moving. That destination LNG was coming into grain. Oh, no. Grain's pretty full. The high seas happened. The same cargo then went to China. Mm. It shows you how the market is shrinking, Mm. uh, whereas previously we wouldn't have seen that. And I I guess if the upshot of this is is lower for longer gas prices, and we've got a European Commission intent on sharpening CO2 prices, Mm -hmm. I guess we're going to have an earlier demise of, of coal than is perhaps been expected until relatively recently yeah for you the coal market i've always been most coal analysts don't like me now because i've always i've said it for several years now the coal market is is dying uh, Mm. and we're seeing that now Mm. Uh, a lot more uh, decommissions happening a lot more countries have have actually started cutting their coal production Mm. a lot earlier than they previously said they would Mm. obviously the the price rise and the changing of the carbon market helped uh, and we're going to see a lot more clean gas uh, fire power generation. Um, so I think, yeah, it's again going to have a big impact uh, moving forward. Wayne, there's so much more. We could there is. There's so much more. So I look forward to, to having you on the pod again and we could go into more detail yeah. and see, how, how, see the, how, the, the, how, how this has all panned out. So that's about all from, from us this week. So thank you very much, Wayne. And thank you, Nathan. Um, You're welcome. Look forward to, to speaking about this topic again. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you.
Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>